You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Good morning, mon frère. Oh, you know what? I love that you brought that up. The French language? Yeah. <laughs> but specifically that phrase. Because in the silence of my own home, I use that phrase a lot. To yourself? I guess. To... <laughs> to the, into the ether. I don't know. You're like talking to your noodles? <laughs> like, we're gonna, you, are, you look so, it's so good, mon frère. I don't. Um... Well, I mean, you're not, well, okay, not quite. But I've learned a few things about myself in my new digs. Yeah. I'm a relatively quiet person. Sure, yeah. Until, that's... you know what I mean? <laughs> Until However, you're not. <laughs> exactly. Like, I talk at the TV a lot. You know what I mean? I suddenly understand why people watching sports shout at people. Oh, like, now you understand. Yeah, yeah I'm like, I, in, in a drama, right, in a horror film, they do the wrong thing. I'm like, are you insane? <laughs> Did you not hear the musical cue? Like, <laughs> duh. There's a baking show on Netflix. It's pretty dumb. Very scripted, but also pretty fun. It's like, is it cake or something like that? I don't know. It's, they basically bank on that trend. And honestly, I had so much fun. I binged the whole season. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So it's not like one of those charming British baking shows. No, it's goofy as all get out. Mm. And that kind of makes it better. <laughs> they felt like my family at the end of it. And I'm like shouting at them. There's this one guy. He is crap. And he lost. And his last his last cake, man, it was a spectacular failure. I loved it. Anyway. In the my vengeance just, of God. <laughs> And just speaking or not, this shouldn't sound too weird, but it's gonna having, you know, kind of completing conversations in your head or whatever. Sometimes that just kind of spills out. And next thing I know, oh, I'm that, like, that doesn't sound weird. I do that all the time, just yeah. in public or at the church or <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, just, I'm just finishing my own conversations. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's a sign of some sort of unwellness, I but I do. I do it that's, all the time. Ooh, I'm just going to chalk it up to like the repercussions of COVID. Mm, we've yeah. been in isolation. Yeah. We, we've gotten down that road. You know, it, it had some weird side I effects. I got to talk to me, you know, got to speaking. <laughs> out loud in the end of conversations that no one's having. That's yeah. right, mon frere. That's, that's how you refer to like yourself and the Yeah. Well, mon not, frere. you know, I but I say it, it I say it to my imaginary interlocutor. You know what I mean? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Take that mon frere. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. Do you have other terms that you, other languages that you delve into? or? Mm, I'll have to think on that. Because I use mon ami a lot. I don't. I should. Mon ami. That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you. That's it. For that one. That's all. Yeah. Anytime, I suppose. Yeah, that's it. Well, I like it. It's delightful. You talked about new home. Yeah. Domestic domicile. Mm-hmm. You didn't mention specifically some of those words, but this is neither here nor there at all. Okay. Completely unrelated. It's just something I have to put out there that uh, Christopher Nolan, yeah. Inception. Oh, yeah. Great film. Yeah. Leo DiCaprio. Awesome. Plays a character called Dom. Okay. Yes. Dom is like, oh, that's domestic. It's the root word from domestic, domicile. And what is Dom trying to do the whole movie? He's trying to get home. Oh, that's that's interesting. Isn't that's that wild? very Nolan, too. Yeah, it is. It is. Someone pointed that out to me a couple weeks ago, and it's been, yeah. it's been stuck in there. And then I thought about the fact that his wife, she's the one who kind of like threatens to thwart everything in the dreams. Mm-hmm. It's called Mal. Mal. Oh, is it? Is it a hard A? Uh, I actually know it may be yell. It's not like that that almost makes you think of malicious. Yeah. Well, I thought that's a, isn't there. that Spanish for bad? Maybe it is. Yeah. Pretty dang okay. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I've got it. All my... comes from that same Latinate root. Yeah. Well, and I aren't there like more word games at play there? Like not just those two names. I'm thinking that oh, there's yeah, like, like some complex put... linguistic puzzle boxing going on. Well, if you put all the main characters' names yeah. together, it spells dreams or something like oh, that. Oh, okay. You got that kind of Man, stuff of on it. Very Nolan Christopher Nolan. That. That's he's, so cool. Though. He's very much about that kind of stuff, and I I dig it. Speaking of other things, I dig. Oh yeah. Covenants. Oh yes. Of the biblical variety. <laughs> 
That's yeah, what, that's yeah. what we're here for. Yeah, we uh, today begin the penultimate episode oh, in our podcast miniseries. Man. The one that we're doing on Covenants, in case you're wondering what the miniseries is on. Which miniseries? The one on Covenants. Ding dong. <laughs> that was to me, not to you. Not to the listeners, to me. That was to oh, me. Oh, man. Yes. So in this episode, we are discussing the Davidic Covenant. Okay. And I'd actually be willing to argue that the Davidic Covenant is the clearest expression of God's faithfulness to his purpose that we mm. find in the Bible until the inauguration of the New Covenant. That's a big promise. Yeah, it is. And there's a part of me that kind of sweats a little bit when I think, like, <laughs> should I put it that strongly? But I I think I think it's a reasonable, okay. I think you, the case can be made. The All case right. can be made. We will let you, the listener, decide All whether right. yes. it actually works. But the reason I, I say that is because under David, the kingdom of God that kingdom, the kingdom, capital K kingdom, really arrives. Oh, whoa, okay. And you might you might be thinking to yourself, now, Josiah, mm. wasn't Saul the first king of Israel? Oh, no. Didn't the kingdom come with him? Like, why didn't it? What's going on? How's this working? You're throwing everything for a loop, man. Yeah, I definitely heard the Psycho soundtrack in the back of my head. Did you? <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Perfectly fair, valid observation and question. It's all it's all good. It's you just know? totally normal. We completely yeah, I get challenge it. our massive promise at the very beginning of the episode. <laughs> Super normal. Hey. Where would the tension and the fun be if we didn't? It, well, so before we dive into the actual content of this particular covenant, mm-hmm. uh, let me prime the pump by briefly trying to answer those questions. Okay. So I say that the kingdom more or less formally arrived with David because under David, God directly associates his kingship with David's throne mm. and God locates that throne and his reign in one central place, okay. which is Jerusalem, right. which has not been the case up to this point in Israel's history. Even though the manifest, direct, localized presence of God was with Israel, even then it was in a tabernacle. Right. It moved. By there nature, was... it's it's a mobile temporary structure. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It was. It kind of is baked into the cake, so to speak, that there needs to be something more permanent. Yeah. And so now that God directly associates his kingship with David, localizes it in Jerusalem, no more does the manifest presence of God wander in the wilderness. And actually what you end up seeing with David is that soon that mobile tabernacle even is going to be replaced by a permanent temple. Okay. Solidifying this idea that God's reign and rule is permanent and that his presence is perpetual. Did you like all of that alliteration? That was amazing. Did that on accident. That's just, <laughs> it's a disease that preachers have apparently. So, so everything is zeroing into a fine point with the Davidic covenant yeah. and the visible expression of God's reign and rule is coming into clearer view than it ever has. I think that's a pretty good case you've made. Yeah. So that's kind of the groundwork for why I would be willing to say something okay. like that. Because all the covenants before, this is a covenant of promise, but you, you really kind of get anticipation in all the other covenants. And here you're really beginning to see it realized yeah. at last. And obviously there's some anticipation in this one too, well, which sure. we'll get into. But but in many ways, this is what so many things were foreshadowing. Yes. And you get a lot of the covenant concept realized here. Mm, okay. So then that leads to the question, what is the substance of the covenant that God made with King David? Mm-hmm. Well, we find that information in 2 Samuel 7. And I'll just get this out of the way immediately. If you actually go and read that passage right now, yeah. I will not read all of it because it is rather lengthy. But if you went and read it right now, you would probably be a little bit puzzled because 
the term covenant nowhere appears in that passage. Right? It's another one of those weird instances of scripture where it's like, oh, the term itself doesn't appear. Kind of like in the covenant of works, if you remember that. Yeah. Back with Adam and Eve, the term covenant covenant never appears. big weather, as we called it. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was the Noahic covenant. (laughs) No, I think we landed on covenant of nature. Yeah, and covenant of dominion, too. We like both of those. It's okay, we're just rewriting it. Yeah, yeah, no big deal, no big deal. But... What you do see, again, like with that one is, I think it's in Psalm 89, where David says, God made a sure and solid covenant with me. Oh, okay. And all the elements, again, of a covenant are present here. So even if you doubt it, I feel like that reference later on is insanely solid. Yeah, you can't get away from that. And the fact that God made a covenant with David, that term appears later in okay, other cool. places like the Psalms. Got it. Hebrews, I believe. So anyway, I said all that to say, you're reading Second Samuel 7, you're like, well, wait, the term covenant doesn't show up here. So were they just pulling my leg? No, the term isn't there, but everything about it is. Mm, okay. So at this point in Israel's story, the nation is actually at rest from war and they're experiencing a peace the likes of which they've scarcely had in their history. You think about that, it really is a relatively rare occurrence. They're not at war. They're not wandering. They're not being oppressed by some foreign power, right? This is really rather magnificent. So even before the covenant is mentioned or ratified, you begin to get the sense that God's reign has been truly established in some sense anyway, and where his reign is established and where he is lovingly obeyed, which is what the nation has now been doing under David. They've been keeping his laws. They've been doing the things they're supposed to do. There's a peace like a river, as the old hymn mm. puts it. Like, you really get the sense that, oh, all is well. Um, the Hebrew term is like shalom. There's yeah. a sense of, like, wholeness and peace happening because of this. So, okay, so in a time like this, when God's reign is truly established... Mm-hmm. In a time like this, why covenant? Like, I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be a need per se. It doesn't necessarily have to answer something when it's being bestowed by God. But is there something to that? Is Why now? Is it to mm-hmm. mark an, a moment in their history, an, an inauguration of sorts? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of that, I think, going on. And a couple factors at play there, I think, on that question. Because one, if you think just about the way kingships worked mm-hmm. in that really more or less nomadic Middle Eastern culture of the day, dynasties weren't a thing, really. So the Davidic dynasty lasted 400 years. Mm. So you had a descendant of David on the throne in Jerusalem for the better part of four centuries. That was not common. You just didn't have that kind of stuff going on. So in one sense, you have God kind of confirming, hey, you're a man after my own heart. I'm going to establish a kingship and a Mm. dynasty for you. But also, this is a really weird dynamic, but provisions had been made for a king to rule in Israel mm. back in Deuteronomy. But there was a little bit of uh, a snafu. A snafu <laughs> related to that um, before David became king. Yeah. So you have this covenant that kind of solidifies the fact that this is the kingship okay. that was meant to be. Okay. So you have a lot of that going on there. Yeah. Um, so it's not, yeah, just this arbitrary, like, oh, things are going well. And it's like, <laughs> you know, because it's not like with. As you've, I think that's an astute observation, like Abraham, for example, yeah. God makes a covenant because everything seems so uncertain. And then I think even with the covenant of big weather, as we know, um, <laughs> true listeners know we're on the Noahic covenant, as I mentioned this. Um, in a moment like that, when you have, by and large, a gigantic reset button in place, there's, I think, so much more reason to then establish a new covenant and all of these things that came with it. Right. And we talked exactly about all of those details. You can listen yeah. to yourself. Um, <laughs> 
All of those things kind of make a lot of obvious sense to me. Of course we have yeah. one now. Right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And this is a yeah different sort of covenant for a different time. Okay. Different yeah. reasons. Yeah. And so the stress of this covenant, though, like all the others, ultimately is that Emmanuel principle that mm-hmm. we've mentioned a few times. And this is particularly set in relation to David himself. It says in the text, Yahweh is his God and David belongs to Yahweh. It belongs to the Lord. But the thing is, is that in associating himself so closely with David, I mean, that's really unique. You don't see that happening super often in yeah. Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. You know, you get it kind of like with an Abraham or a Moses. Exactly. So when you see God saying something like that about a man like David, it's mm. like, pay attention because yeah. this is important. And in doing this, associating himself so closely with David, who is the king of a nation now, God is also saying the same of Israel. Like you kind of have this headship idea again that God is saying, because I'm linked to you, I'm linking myself to the nation. And in fact, just listen to how God frames this covenant with David in the passage itself. This is verses 8 through 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you, David, from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. So he doesn't even explicitly like spell out the link, but he makes it, it's almost implicit. He's like, I am establishing you as king, and as a result of that, I'm going to plant my people that they may dwell in their own place. Okay. So, and I'm sure this is clearer than I'm able to realize, but where are the familiar, like, covenant elements that O. Palmer Robertson talks about? Oh, yes, yes, like, yes. Because mm-hmm. I see some promise here, mm-hmm. I'm, but I'm feeling like there's some periphery details that I expected to see mm-hmm. that are um, yeah. absent. That's a great, great question. So if you read the passage itself, you get, like, the promises. Mm-hmm. So the promise, like, for instance, we're actually going to touch on here in a minute is that God is going to build David a house. Okay. And he's going to fulfill the conditions of that. Like, this is a promise he's going to keep. He's going to build David a house. You have consequences for disobedience. So what he says is, it's particularly related to his son. He says, if your son falls into sin, I will discipline him with my discipline. So you get that element of it. You get the consequences. Mm. The only thing that, like, appears to be super missing and super hazy on is a covenant sign. Oh, that's what I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah. So you you have some of that going on. Interesting. Where you don't have so much the sign, but you could argue that the throne, yeah. the throne itself ends up becoming that that covenant sign, kind of like the tree of life oh, okay. in the right, covenant right, right, of work right, right. serves as that sign. That makes sense. You kind of get the throne and in the Psalms, the scepter and the crown are like Ooh, the symbols yeah, of, of kingship. kingship. And so you kind of get that would be okay. what you would probably fit into that that sign category there. So yeah, so you have all that going on and those would be some of those more familiar elements that O. Palmer Robertson talked about. It's a great call out, great observation hey. there on that, on that front there. And so as I just mentioned even, the whole idea that God is making himself known as David's God and that through David, his reign and his presence are going to be made known to his people at large mm-hmm. is further reinforced by the fact that this whole passage begins with David's desire to build God a house. So he mentions like, I dwell in a house of cedar, he says, and yet the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence is manifest, is in a tent. Mm-hmm. Like, that doesn't seem right. You know, David's right. like, that just doesn't seem right. And so he proposes, I will build a house for God. The passage ends, though, with God promising instead to build David a house. Mm-hmm. So in other words, God is saying that he will create a perpetual dynasty through David's line that would minister the Lord's reign over the Lord's people. And God's rule will be executed through a son of David. Ooh. That terminology may be yes. familiar, especially if you've been reading your Gospels recently. <laughs> 
But he says in verses 12 through 14, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Hmm. And that, of course, you read all that and it's like almost you can't miss it. Like that has to be pointing ultimately to Christ descended from David according to the flesh, as Paul says in Romans. But more on that when we come to the new covenant because (laughs) there's a lot going on there. But you even get that fact. You have to be talking about someone more than just David or even his biological son like Solomon because establishing the throne of his kingdom forever. Like, well, David dies. Solomon Mm. dies. His reign is not forever. Not exactly. Yeah. So Christ, however, on the other hand, is the son of David who died and death no longer has dominion over him. His reign is forever. Author of Hebrews talks about that a lot. So anyway, we will talk about that a lot when we get to the new covenant. But at this point, a question that some astute readers might be asking is, okay, okay, like we see all this stuff, all this good stuff happening in the Davidic covenant, like great things associated with the kingship, apparently, you know, God's reign is going to be made known through this kingship of David. So why then is this whole kingship so celebrated if God said in 1 Samuel 8 that to install a king was to reject him? Oh, yeah. Because that is a very... I think fairly well-known passage if you're familiar with the Old Testament. It's, it's like a, the, it's the Israelites are like, we want a king. And Samuel's yeah. like, you don't want to do that. <laughs> and then God says, they have rejected me from being king over them. Yeah. And you read that. It's like, oh, that's bad. That's not good. It was a this fraught is, time. This is, yeah, like, oh, no, 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 no. So that leads to some confusion then, I think, about why are we suddenly now so excited about this and why is God so on board with it? <laughs> you know, right? That just seems odd. <laughs> Well, believe it or not, in Deuteronomy 17, God had made arrangements for installing a king. Oh, so that's what you're that's talking into about. into the law. Yes, yes. Okay. So the problem, it seemed to be that the nation wanted a king instead of having God as their king. Okay. So in Deuteronomy 17, you don't get the idea that the king was supposed to be some sort of replacement for him. He was supposed to be a figure who administered God's reign. Sort of like the priest. Yeah. Representing God to the people and the people to God. The king likewise. So the people then, when they go to Samuel in 1 Samuel 8, it seems that they want to keep their own timetable rather than allowing God to determine it, right? And rather than saying, we'll allow God to install a king in his good time, a man after his own heart, perhaps. Oh, wow. They're like, no, we want our own king because we want to be like all the nations around us. Exactly. And that is a problem. So you have all that going on. Okay. I don't think I actually realize that, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, which is Mm -hmm. wild to say. (laughs) I think there's a lot going on there you have to connect, I think. Okay, that's fair. I think I always just took the elevator pitch of that situation being like, uh, how about we have a king in just like everyone else? Yeah. <laughs> and then, bam, it sucks for everyone. I'm not sure I realized there was like some nuance intended for that arrangement. Right. It took us all this time to now actually see it come to fruition. Yes. And that's it, because, I mean, mercifully, God does establish his reign in and through David, in spite of the foolishness of the Israelites. Exactly. Like, in spite of the fact that they didn't exactly follow his will for it, <laughs> and they wanted to do it their own way. It's like, again, it's like anything else in life. Okay, let me throw it really back here. Let's do it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yes. There was probably going to be a time when God would say, take from that tree. Hmm. The problem was Adam and Eve took before God would have permitted such a thing, right? And so they ended up ruining themselves. And it's the same thing in so many areas of life. Like if you took... Like, I'll take a really, you know, a really popular example. Like, say, like, the gift of sex, for example. <laughs> like, that's a good thing. God, It's God's idea, right? right that's a right. great thing. But if you do it out of time 
out of the bounds that God has determined, it's bad all around. Like it just, it's not going to end well for you. Same thing with the kingship. Okay. Is it like yeah. the kingship was not an inherently bad thing. God made provision for it in the law. It was just a matter of, are we going to actually follow his lead on how to do that? And when, or are we going to insist? No, we want it our way. And anytime God says, fine, have it your way. Oh, no, no. Bad, yeah. bad time. I so, I, yeah. I think there's honestly some encouragement in this, though. Because mm-hmm. it's not only, I mean, it's not like they asked about it and then did the right thing. No, they're like, no, we definitely, let's do it. Yeah. Let's do this the hard <laughs> way. Yes. And in spite of that, mm-hmm. in spite of how the, how much they interfered, he still like saw them through it. Yes. Like, and and mm-hmm. that still came to fruition. It took yes. longer. It was the harder yeah. road to get there. And yet, right. it still came to pass. And I actually think that that is actually heartening. It is. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that at this moment in 2 Samuel 7, God does so establish this covenant to administer his kingship through like David. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is awesome. So what we see in the Davidic covenant is a great foretaste of the coming day when none other than God himself in the incarnate Christ mm. sits visibly upon the throne of the world and administers his kingship personally. It's like, yeah, I mean, Christ is king right now, seated at the right hand of the Father. But again, as Hebrews says it, we do not now see everything in subjection to him. Right. But one day we will, just as surely as the Israelites saw David on his throne, we will see Christ, the son of David, on his throne. And we also see the ramifications of the Davidic covenant played out in the church's worship because that's where Christ has promised to be among us, exercising his reign in the worship and sacraments of the gathered church. So just as David sat on the throne in Jerusalem, Christ sits enthroned upon the praises of the church. That's where we actually, for lack of a better term, see Christ on the throne. Okay. And uh, so in a strange sort of twist, we can get a better idea of what it means for Christ to reign in our hearts and among our churches right now when we read and understand more about the Davidic covenant. So you get a solid picture of what it means for Christ to reign among us now in the church when you understand, oh, there's David on his throne, and you can kind of draw out from that. Yeah. Oh, here's some of what that would look like for us in the church. So hmm. yeah, it's Davidic covenant for wow. you right there. Yeah, bingo, bango. So thanks as always for listening. And uh, if you found this topic helpful or you want to ask any questions, you can email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net where you can interact with us on social media. And if you, uh, you know, want to leave us an honest five-star review, Ooh. build the house, so to speak. Oh, wow. Yeah, there you go. Had to fit that in there. <laughs> yeah, do that in the Apple podcast platform and As always, thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time.